Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show. This week we get to talk about South American World Cup qualifiers, which are always fascinating and exciting. We're up to game week five, the fifth round of fixtures. We've got another one coming up very shortly, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but we get to talk about the national teams, which is obviously, personally for me, my favourite Favourite kind of football, South America national team football. It's complicated right now here in South America, um, but we had a chance to, to focus on, on, the, on the games on the pitch and enjoy those. So looking forward to discussing them with an excellent panel. Uh, first of all, Adam Brandon in Chile. Adam, welcome. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, looking forward to chatting about Chile's fairly historic draw in Argentina and, uh, and a lot more. Absolutely, absolutely. And also delighted to say, joined by uh, Ecuadorian, uh, Javier Zav Zavala. Excuse me, Javier. Welcome, welcome back. Don't worry, Simon. I work with children, so I'm used to hearing my name in a lot of different variations. I'm not really picky <laughs> about it, don't stress. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Always a pleasure to discuss about my national team, no matter what the result is. This time, not great. Uh, not terrible either, so I'm hoping to get into detail later on. Yeah, well, I, I was hoping I'd be able to pronounce your name better than Canadian children, but, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> ten, ten years in uh, in Colombia, and I'm, uh, I still can't pronounce your name. I, I, I didn't take a decent run-up at it. I just, I just saw the Z, and I was like, oh, Jesus, what is his name? <laughs> there we go. Anyway, let's let's go straight in. Let's go straight into yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Ecuador Brazil. It's a game we were most excited for. I think in this game week, we were a game we were very interested to see uh, Ecuador coming into this one in some really impressive form um, from a Colombian's perspective. Alarmingly impressive uh, with a with a dominant win against Colombia in the last round of fixtures. They were traveling to Brazil. It was a tough game uh, and uh, a game we were looking forward to. Uh, did it live up to your expectations? Obviously, the result wasn't what you expected, but w were you happy with the progress Ecuador are making? So, honestly, to me, I am. Um, as I mentioned in the last pod, I, I have enjoyed seeing all these versions uh, of what Alfaro is trying to create in Ecuador because he hasn't been caged into one idea, one tactical idea. So... It means progress because by being tactically flexible, you are seeing this new round or this new group of players coming in and doing different things, right? Because as you know, the modern footballer needs to be able to do more than one thing, right? So there's no more room for luxury players that are ma magical at one thing and then nothing else. You have to be able to contribute different aspects of the game, right? So I have enjoyed Alfaro quite so much, right? So, but I guess that yesterday we saw the Alfaro that I was promised, right? Um, but I don't want to spoil the end of my version. So let me get into the first aspect of how to analyze this game. So to see Ecuador and Brazil, you need to understand one thing. It's the points budget, right? For Ecuador, getting points at Brazil, it's a luxury, right? You don't really expect them to do it. It would be nice. would have been awesome. Uh, it would help a lot. But it's not really a must. Whereas our Tuesday game, right, when we face Peru, now that's a must. That has to be three points, right? So Alfaro set up a game not to lose. Okay. 
Okay, so there were there are a few points throughout the game that are important to analyze, right? So Ecuador started with a high land to start for the first ten minutes or so. Was interesting because they really made Brazil's build up very uncomfortable, right? The defensive work of Grueso, Mendes, and Franco was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed that, right? So with that that early high pressure that Ecuador presented for the first ten minutes or so. Um, force Brazil to do some weird movements or uh, alternative movements to get the ball out from the back. So, for example, as you saw at the beginning, um, Alexandro, once the ball came to the f- uh, to the middle third of the field, pushed up way up high as a, as a winger, right? Which forced Fred or Neymar to track back and receive so the ball can actually get out of the middle third, right? And that's how they end up breaking that pressure. Once Brazil, after its first 10 minutes, broke Ecuador's pressure, then Ecuador moved back into a, into a low compact block, which presented, just like Venezuela, a lot of issues to, for Brazil. Because Brazil is used to what? To exploit spaces, right? To look for spaces to exploit. But if you have little space behind the players in every line, there's not really a lot of half space to exploit, which uh, is a conflict in order to create dangerous opportunities, okay? And other than that, Ecuador, uh, like I also mentioned in the last part, keeps working with these technical fouls that are a, com- a constant obstacle in the buildup of the other teams, right? It's foul after foul after foul after foul that breaks all the passing patterns. And that really disrupts the flow of the opponent, right? And allows Ecuador to get, again, organized, right? So, okay, so, and they play, fall back, organize, form the lines. Okay, let's do it again, right? So I was really impressed by the Ecuador's offensive work. Now, as the game moved on, right, Brazil started to move slowly the ball up up the field. Now, what Brazil tried to do to create opportunities, right? Since they were very compact, Ecuador was very compact in the back, there were not really spaces, they had to create the spaces. So they started luring the fullbacks, Ecuador's fullback, Pervis Estupeña, Angelo Preciado, which to my great sorrow, I have to say that did not play a great game, especially Angelo Preciado was very weak yesterday. Um, By luring them into the midfield, they created space behind them on the wings, right? And that's what... um, Brazil started to exploit. Now, honestly, that's part of the downside of of Alfaro's setup of the 4-3-3 that he created yesterday. So to create a compact block in the midfield, right, with a 4-3-3, right, with Franco, Gresson, Mendes in the midfield, the fullbacks lack support for the covers on the wings, right? Because even though Franco had to cover the right side, he never played that wide and that back. So Mena would have had to be back there and help, which he wasn't. And Preciado, Ayrton Preciado this time, on the left side to cover Pérez, which he wasn't. Right. So those fullback areas were very smartly exploited by Brazil because they noticed where the space was. Right. Now, in the 42nd minute, it would be a premonition of what would happen later. Because, for example, Pervis Asupinian made a, rec- uh, a rec- ball recovery in the midfield and then inexplicably run forward into the middle, crowding with the rest of the midfield because they did not expect Pervis to 
run there with the ball for no reason, right? So they lost the ball, and Brazil did what they do. They do greatly on their teeth uh, is recognize where the weaknesses, where the spaces. So they, re they recover the ball. They see Pervis Estopiñan in the midfield just trying to get up, right, and say, okay, fullback, left fullbacks open, go. So they move all the way, uh, the ball all the way to the right side. They wait for the overlap. Uh, the, the, the overlap happens, cross the ball, clear goal. But what? Wait, Barbosa was an offside, right? Uh, disallowed goal, rightfully so, and Ecuador was saved. But again, like I said, it happened as a premonition of what would happen later, right? Now, the second half, the second half looked similar until the non-third yellow card for Fred, right? Yes, third yellow card. Then Tite immediately subs him off for Jesus, for Gabby Jesus. Now, for Brazil's goal, in Spanish, I call it la enferma necesidad de salir jugando, right? Which means the unnecessary need to play out from the back. And again, uh, for those listeners that do not know, I'm a grassroots, uh, grassroots and youth head coach, right? And I understand the need for players to know how to pass out from the back and pass around players to learn the game. I get it. But in professional football, where the consequences of mistakes are so massive, you need to realize that our things are more important than looking classy coming out from the back. Well, Arriaga, after a very poor control of the ball, loses the ball, trying to look for a clean pass to get the ball out of a dangerous zone. Knowing that there's Brazil's, like they just uh, interrupted a Brazil attack. So there's Brazilian attackers behind him. And he knows that he's obviously under pressure. Anyways, he loses the ball. Neymar, Neymar recovers the ball. Brazil's exploits one more time the benefit of a player out of position. So Neymar plays onto Richarlison. Richarlison takes a very strong shot to the first post. Um, I'm still debating over Dida Dominguez's responsibility here. I do think that he could have done better, but it was a great shot. Very strong, very short range. So now, um, after that goal, and I have, I have been saying this for a while. I like, I have been highlighting Javier Arriaga's role in Ecuador for a while because I see him as a no nonsense defender, right? You're under pressure, just clear it out. And he has been doing well that. But today, sorry, yesterday wasn't a great example of that. Now, um, it's kind of difficult right now in, in, an, in Ecuador press and media to say negative things about Alfaro. But I'm going to say that I did not enjoy the fact that Alfaro waited for the 70th minute to make the sub to replace Ayrton for Fidel, right? Because A, it was a little late, right? And B, it wasn't tactically significant, right? And if you see the game and the minutes after that Brazil goal, Ecuador completely crumbled, right? You can argue that A, they were tired, maybe. You can argue that they were morally demotivated maybe or the more obvious reason is that okay so we're losing so we have to move forward to get a goal or try to get a goal with the wrong roster on the field at that point um, so that created space for Brazil to play right and Brazil with the space is very easy to make any other team look clumsy just like they did to Ecuador right now then another controversy happened with a doubt, doubtful PK for Brazil 
Then, and then in that PK, VAR rightfully punished Dominguez for being one millimeter in front of the line to stop the first attempt. Now, the second one is scored, and of course, Neymar, the, 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 the Neymar dance comes after, and obviously everyone wants to see the Neymar dance, right? Anyways, um, for the game, I will say that the highest point is Brazil def Brazil's defensive work, right? I could highlight especially Casemiro because he was outstanding, but this Brazil under Tite is, is focused on having that a strong foundation in the back, right? Like they, it's in, for me, it's incredible. They can play Casemiro and Fred, Casemiro and Fabinho, Casemiro and Douglas Luiz. Um, that's a great variation of defensive midfielders, right? And that allows them to be very flexible in defense, which for me is it's going to be interesting yeah. in a short I tournament. Think, right? I, th I think that's one of the reasons why Brazil are so dominant at the moment in South American football is because their defensive unit is just so far ahead of everybody else's. Um, they very rarely give up chances in, in games. And I suppose that was Ecuador's sort of biggest problem in this game is that it was always difficult to see how that 11 that Ecuador put out was going to create many chances. Although I do find it interesting how they started the game. Um, they, they seem to want to attack at the beginning. I think you mentioned this as well, Javier. And, and, they, were, and, they, were, and they were quite high up the pitch as well in doing so. But yeah, they, for the last uh, 80 minutes, I would say that they played for a one or two nil defeat and that's what they got um i i yeah there's some there's some other factors i think we should mention so a lot of ecuador's excellent form so far in in world cup qualifying in my opinion and i might be biased here because everybody knows how much i love him but has come from <laughs> the midfield and um moises casel especially his partnership with jackson mendes um, and I didn't feel like with Guerrero in there instead that it was any anywhere near that kind of dynamic in the, in the Ecuador midfield. And there just wasn't the right players to to progress the ball past Casemiro. Every time Ecuador tried to get up the pitch, they would run into Casemiro, who would mop, who was mopping up everything for Brazil. Um, the Ecuador strikers, I found. Um, in this game, well, or forward players, um, uh, Angel Mena and Ena Valencia, they were pretty anonymous for, for the whole game. Partly their fault, partly the fault of the, of the setup. Um, because I, I get what you're saying, Javier, about you know if, if your team isn't good enough to play out from the back, um, then they shouldn't do it, which is basically what you're saying. But the alternative is is that you keep just whacking the ball clear and the ball just keeps coming back to you um, if, you, if you don't attempt to keep it. Um, and if you, if you are going to play more direct, then you've got, to, you've got to have the runners in your team to make sure that you push the whole team up as soon as you get the ball and to put pressure on the ball before it comes back into, into your half, no? So, but I don't feel that they did that. I, I just felt like they were, you know, this looked like a game between two teams with quite a few sort of levels in between. Um, 
So, yeah, I was very disappointed with, with Ecuador's performance and approach. Um, it didn't make much sense to me. I understand kind of why they may fear Brazil, but I didn't think that the 11 that Brazil put out was anywhere near sort of their best. Um, but, yeah, Equ- Ecuador were short of a couple of their best players as well. But yeah, I, I, ju- I just felt that they never believed in themselves enough in, in this game. And I, I never saw a tactic that was potentially going to get a result here. Apart from maybe in that first five minutes when they when they really came out and, and tried to attack and press Brazil high. Now, I completely agree with you that we miss Moisés Caicedo, right? I did mention about the modern footballer, right? And Moises Caicedo is like the prime example of the modern footballer. He's the one player that can play in any position uh, from the midfield to center back and attacking midfielder, right? And he did, he was uh, sorely missed for sure, right? But again, we go again to the points budget, right? Like we cannot risk Moises against Brazil if we need him on Tuesday against Peru. Right, that's the one. Yeah, but with, but with now, the um, with the kind of the other side of that coin, be like you could probably get a result at home against Brazil, uh, at home against Peru without Moises Caicedo, but you're very unlikely to get anything away to Brazil, or even more unlikely to get anything away to Brazil with uh, without Moises Caicedo playing. Although I do understand, I I do believe, sorry, that he that he still has a bit of an ankle knock. So, and he was on a yellow card, but yeah, maybe, maybe that was more of a reasoning behind it. Now, I agree with your point as well, but also remember that, uh, and this is uh, the cautious version of Gustavo Alfaro, right? Like you're not going to reach the points that are supposed to be a guarantee. Now, um, going back to the game, um, for Ecuador, I will highlight the aggress of Franco Mendes. Uh, midfield, at least the defensive side, they they were pretty good. Um, I will guess that this is the best game that I've seen Gresso play, and there's probably not a better or a more difficult critique to to Gresso that I am. So I I have to recognize that he played a good game. Mendes makes it easier for him, right? Because he's the one that ends up moving, and Gresso is the one that stays um, stays in position, right? And Franco was great on the right side, so I cannot really complain. Um, now, for the lowest points, uh, offensive Ecuador, no exceptions. The ball movement was terrible. That's because of the great pressure that Brazil executed in every uh, part of the field. It wasn't just high pressure. It was uh, uh, wherever the ball was, always a man on, very tight, right? So it was excellent. Now, um, Alfaro was part of my lowest points because I think... I still think that he took too long to make the subs, and honestly, they were not the right ones in general, right? Um, do you do you agree a, with how narrow yes. Ecuador played as well? Because that's another thing. Because I know it's a little bit of a cliche um, that, that we've repeated on this pod over the years, but you know, one of one of Ecuador's undoubted strengths is sort of their their wide play in general, and I just felt that Ecuador was so narrow in this game a lot of the time. Well, the problem is that when you analyze a system, you have to see every factor that comes into it, right? So I I do think that they could have played wider with and give them more more than wider, give them more freedom, right? 
to execute because Preciado Mena had to all the way cover back because of the narrow midfield, right? So they have to cover the wide channels, right? But again, if you give them that freedom, you need to have shooters, right? Like uh, players that can play that long pass, that long diagonal pass to them, right? So if you want to end up using that, then you need no on the field, right? You need players that can actually make that pass so you can exploit those spaces behind the fullbacks, right? So... If you change one aspect, then you need to complement that aspect to make it to optimize a result. If not, you're going to have that resource, but that resource is not going to be useful, right? Now, um, now in regards to Alfaro, uh, I really think uh, for the first time that we end up seeing the Alfaro that we were promised, right? Very cautious, very, I don't know if, if the translation is correct into English, but like he calculates a result, right? So... Um, I still have faith that Equor is going to push through. The game wasn't so bad. It was one mistake that broke that broke down the game. I agree with Adam in regards that Equor didn't really show a plan to score or really show the ambition of wanting to score. But again, one mistake crumbled down the full, the full plan and they, there was no recover after that. Um, so I guess that I'm still behind Alfaro. I'm still supporting him, even though the result didn't come through for him. Okay, cool. Well, I think for me, what's what's striking, and and we've got lots to talk on, we'll have to move on in a minute. But for me, what's striking with Brazil is, as I think Adam mentioned, they're really elite level at the back. Danilo, Militao, Marquinhos, Sandro, and then very, very importantly, Casemiro in front and Alisson behind. That is as good as it gets in world football. But aside from that, we've got Fred, we've got Lucas Paqueta, we've got Richarlison, and we've got Gabriel Barbosa, and Gabi Goal, or Gabi, or whatever he's called this week. Um, and that isn't, that isn't, for me, particularly worrying. I mean, obviously, then you add Neymar, who is the kind of X factor in that attack. But that, for me, shouldn't be four players you, you massively fear. I don't know, Adam, what do you think? I mean, they've, they've played five and they've won five. Is this all based upon defence? Because for me, that isn't a particularly worrying prospect in attack. Obviously, Neymar being the you know world-class player who can obviously make the difference in that. But what do you think of this Brazil side? Is this going to be a side that can manage the games against some perhaps disorganised or, or South American teams in transition, but will not be well-prepared to kind of break down teams who are, who are back themselves uh, when it gets to the World Cup? Because I think they're on they're on route to go there already. You know, things are looking pretty good in yeah. qualifying. Oh, I, th- I think, you know, this Brazil side is potentially on course to, you know, b- break the points record again. I think I think they did it last time, didn't they? Or, or certainly came close. Um, so, I, I, I just see a Brazil side that doesn't really have a close competitor in, in this World Cup qualifying because their system is is pretty much perfected under the same coach now um, for for many years, and it just works perfectly against South American sides that tend to not only have weaker players but also a weaker mentality. Like I, I, you know, so many so many sides I feel play the name rather than the rather than the team in front of them. When when people ask me sort of what made like Chile between sort of two thousand and nine to two thousand and sixteen so great is that you know they didn't fear anyone 
when they went out on the pitch. You know, they would have they they just attacked whoever was in whoever was in front of them. And, you know, that's what brought them to two World Cups and, and also got them those two Copper America wins. Um, and so, you know, Ecuador have their sort of golden generation coming up here. And, you know, I'm kind of looking for that kind of mentality, whether they can kind of replicate that kind of, uh, you know, for, basically fulfill the talents of... Um, of the generation coming through and I think that's my worry for for Ecuador how they're playing at the moment in terms of in, although if if uh, if Ecuador had a Copa America at home I think it would be a different story because the altitude just seems to give them the confidence to play a lot more attacking um, and a lot more braver um, but yeah just going back to the point about Brazil um, yeah I, I just feel that they're their streets ahead of everybody else in there. Yeah, but they basically played a second string um, front four or five and um, and won two nil and didn't give up a shot yeah, against a team that had been flying previously in World Cup qualifying, which you know says it all. Really. Okay, Javi. Before we move on, uh, go ahead. Uh, what do you think of this? Maybe this Brazil side. I know you love your defensive football. I'm sure you're 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 in love with this uh, this very efficient Brazilian side. I'm honestly a huge fan of this Brazil side, and I agree with Adam to the point that I will say that Alfaro's plan to build this Ecuador is somewhat related to what Tite's Brazil is, right? Because we have to remember that since 2002, when Ecuador first got to the World Cup, right? Every World Cup that we have gone since then has been with a very strong defensive foundation team. And the offensive Ecuadors, the Ecuadors that were trying to play nice and score and, and move up the field and do high pressure and so on, were the ones that did not go to the World Cup. So the key is simple, right? Explo ex uh, use the altitude to our favor, right? And build a defensive foundation for the away games, right? So... Uh, that's how much I think of uh, Brazil's, uh, of Tite's Brazil. And I think that Alfaro is trying to replicate that in Ecuador. Okay, great. Well, let's see, let's see how he does. Um, there's obviously a lot of interesting talent in the Ecuador side. And it'll be interesting to see if how many teams, um, have the approach against Brazil of trying to grind out the win or get the result. And how many teams think, well, fuck it, <laughs> you know, we're going to lose anyway. Let's give it a go. It'll be interesting to see because uh, I can see Brazil um, kind of getting one nils, two nils. Uh, and as Adam says, perhaps racking up some record points totals in this World Cup qualifier. Shall we, um, we shall Simon, see. shall we move on to talk about uh, another side where sometimes the uh, mentality gets the better of them? And that's uh, and that's Colombia. Um, it, it didn't it didn't say much in this game. Um, but it, for me, it was a game that, um, that I wouldn't say it turned on the red card because, you know, Colombia were, were already one up, but it basically sealed the result at that point, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, so Colombia, without all of their creative players, um, and also without Falcao, although personally, I think that's probably a good thing now, but there we go. Um, but they, they didn't have Hammers, uh, Hammers reported for duty and then was told mm, yeah we think you probably should rest you've been injured most of the season um you, you know we think it's not a good idea for your for your career and for your development and your performance to to rush back take a rest 
Quintero couldn't get back across, so Cardona is the only guy in the squad who can play that kind of number 10 role. Um, so we'll see what happens with that moving forward. But Colombia sat with a 4-4-2. Uh, Luis Diaz and Cuadrado on the wings. Gustavo Cuella was kind of the surprise inclusion um, in midfield. For me, it kind of made sense. He's a, a very disciplined player, a tough player. And the partnership between him and Meteo Soribe was very important in the middle. Uh, Cuella, 94% pass completion, completed three long passes out of three. Meteo Soribe... 95% pass completion with four long passes, both putting in a good shift defensively. So I think that was very important. But as you say, I think the game, the first 40 minutes before Colombia opened the scoring was, well, Colombia came out very strong. They created a lot. They put five or six chances together in the first 10 minutes. But then from there, you know, they, they kind of, I think Colombia are sh- still a bit shell-shocked having... Um, the end of the Quiros reign, that massive defeat against uh, against Ecuador, uh, a bit of a mixed start to the World Cup qualifiers. I think they were very vulnerable here. Um, and I think they came out trying to get the goal early. They couldn't get the, the ball into the net. And then, Equ- and then Peru settled into things. And what Peru have is consistency. You know, the same guys who've been there for years, uh, the same manager. So I think that they're quite comfortable doing what they're doing. However, this isn't a great Peru side. Uh, I think they're aging. Uh, Cueva um, plays in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Carrillo plays in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Paulo Guerrero is, is, is still a very good player, but he's, he's getting a bit older and is a bit isolated at top uh, at times. Jotun uh, Tapia is, is decent in front of the defence. But I think this is, a, yeah, as you say, I think the game, massively the red card was huge. Um, Jerry Mina opened the scoring on 40 minutes, uh, a long quadrado free kick into the box, headed up in the air. And when the ball's floating up really high in the air and you've got Jerry Mina thundering towards it, <laughs> you kind of, it's only going one way. Uh, Jerry Mina's now got seven goals in 27 games for Colombia, which is, you know, <laughs> one of the best goal scoring what, records in Colombian history. What, what's your guys' theory on why Mina hasn't got that kind of record in in the Premier League? Would you say? Because I, I think that is it, and I think we saw this a bit in the 2000 World Cup with both England and Colombia actually sort of exposing teams on set pieces. And I just wonder if it's sort of the lack of time, you know, to work on the training ground defending set pieces. Um, at international level, which which means that he's able to sort of exploit um, these situations a lot more at international level than at club level. Yeah, for me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, not having the... Because, you know, things like set pieces are things that, that club teams can spend a lot of time practicing. You know, it's the, the fine margins between, between results. And yeah, it is interesting to see that Jenny Mina has had... He's had some chances in the Premier League, to be honest. And, and maybe... He could have got a few more, um, but his goal-scoring record for the national team and the goal-scoring record we saw in Brazil as well was was much higher. So perhaps it is it is testament to the to the defensive organisation of the Premier League. But Javi, any any thoughts on that? Well, actually, I think it's a combination of two things, right? Like um, it's also exploiting set pieces advantage, right? It's also a lot of. Um, in today's elite uh, football, it's also about having someone specialized for that, right? And you you ha- you see, like, now right now, the elite teams getting a set-piece coach, 
right, to work with that. I don't think that we have seen lots of that in Jeremina's time in England, right? Um, that's one point. And the second point is that the physical difference of the people that he has to face uh, uh, between uh, his time in Brazil and in England is considerable, right? That you have to remember the, the physical advantages that the European players get when they get there and develop, right? So I don't think he has all the advantages that he has, uh, for example, uh, he had at his time in Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think uh, Colombia obviously have some great free kick takers, but I suppose it's the same as uh, the same guy putting the free kicks in, Hammers and uh, yeah, Everton as well. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting uh, to see the fine differences and, and how these things can make an impact. So, basically, Miguel Trauco, two yellow cards, I think fair enough. Um, clumsy rather than malicious on the second one, but I think probably the right decision. So, um, he was sent off just on the break of half time. Colombia then came out obviously uh, confident in the second half. They had the goal advantage. They had the man advantage. And I think that that was a big, big boost. And I think in terms of overall World Cup qualifiers, I think that's huge in terms of giving Colombia the confidence. After that, you know, the, the, with the advantage, they, they pushed to get the second goal early in the second half. Mateo Soribe arrived in the box with a really nice header from a, from a really good Stefan Medina cross. Um, and 2-0, and, and that was it, really. Um, Luis Diaz, who had not had the best game up until this point, but, but scored a really nice goal, uh, turned and then hit a powerful low shot. That's something he's very good at, um, getting shots off quickly from the left on his right foot. He's been doing it all season with Porto, and you know that's an interesting asset for Colombia. Um, and then you know three 0 match one, Colombia makes some changes, bring on Daniel Munoz. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, he gets a red card uh, after a VAR check. Now it's been a bit, you know, debated in Colombia. I think it's very unfortunate. You know, he was so basically Cuadrado plays him in down the right side of the the Peruvian, you know, down the Colombian right just outside the, the Peruvian back four. And it's a 50-50. He gets there first. He crosses it into the box uh, and it's deflected away for a corner. However, when he connects with the ball, he's kind of followed through with his with his foot. I think, I think five years ago, it wouldn't be a foul, but I can also perhaps see why it's been given, particularly with VAR. I mean, what did you think of the red card, Adam? For, for Peru one or Colombia one? Well, both. why not both? <laughs> because I, I was going to jump in earlier about the about the Peru one. Because, um, yeah, I get that it was a second yellow card, which I didn't realise at first, actually. Um, but for I still think that was harsh, even even as a as a yellow card, especially when it, the ref must know that it will result in the player going off as well, because there was no intent and there was no. And I know that's not the rule anymore, and we're going to come on to a similar incident later, maybe as well, on this in the Uruguay-Paraguay game about talking about intent. But if it's if there's no intent and there's like no harm done, which there clearly wasn't there either, as as much as uh, <laughs> the Colombian player tried to make out there was. Um, yeah, for me it was it was very harsh. But yeah, I thought the I thought the Colombia. Red card was um, Munez, who had just come on, hadn't he? Like a few seconds before, as you said. Um, yeah, that, that was a definite red for me. Um, 
even though obviously he didn't mean to do that, you know, it was it was reckless and and a bit out of control, and yeah, it could have seriously um, injured his opponent. So yeah, I agreed with that red card for sure. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. You're gonna lose some Colombian fans. I'm, I'm afraid, Adam. <laughs> but yeah, it's, def- it's definitely one where you you have a lot of sympathy for both. Obviously, uh, it's it's a tough one to to be on the receiving end of. But then again, how many times have you kind of slid across into the box? Uh, and and you know, he, in many ways, tactically, in terms of technically, he you know a bit more space between him and the yeah. defender, and it's, it's, a, also, it's a nice. Cross. It's also kind of and I, and again, we're probably touch on this later as well it's, it's not only about you know if we instinctively think that it's a red card um and i suspect in the generation that we grew up in and the majority of our football watching we'd probably say yeah probably not you know he, he didn't mean to do it, it you know it's not it's 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 too harsh to give him a red card because there was no intent there but it just seems that in this day and age with the rules as they are like the intent aspect isn't really counted that much. It's whether how much you could have seriously injured your opponent is the main factor. And, uh, and yeah, and if you go by that, then yeah, I think it is a red card. Okay. Well, fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, so in terms of final thoughts on Colombia, you know, I think, I think Colombia need to decide what they're going to be for the next month and a half. No James, no Quintero. They don't have that creative player unless they bring Cardona and I, and I can't see him being a, a starter. I think they can get a lot from what they have, but they have to find the right balance because at times they lost momentum playing their short passing football. And the short passing football is great and it's a part of Colombian footballing culture and style to to move the ball around the back and into midfield and, and keep the ball moving. Um, but... If you are setting up with Cuadrado and Diaz on the wings, with a focal point target man in, in Duan Zapata and a dynamic uh, Luis Muriel who's linking things with his pace, then you, you need to focus on making the most of the transitions. You know, if Colombia start with a lot of very quick players who are well suited to breaking from wide areas into the box, then then that should be the focus of the attack. So, of course, once Peru were down to 10 men and, and Colombia took control of the game, it was it was very stylish and it was very nice. But I think it's important for Colombia to consider, as, as, as a Colombian fan, I can get carried away with all the Colombians and just enjoy the 3-0 win and, and, and the, the comfortable football for the last 45 minutes. But I think it's important to consider that for the first 40 minutes, Colombia created very little. So I think there's still work to be done. If if Colombia are not going to have a playmaker, not going to have a guy who's going to unlock teams, then they need to kind of adjust to be a bit more dynamic, a bit quicker in transitions, use the qualities they have. You know, Colombia have combined the great thinking creative 10 with the pace. If they don't have the 10, they need to be more dynamic and, and quicker in transitions for me. So that's... Uh, a little a little note for uh, for Rueda to consider. Um, I'm sure he'll be listening um, for the next game. Uh, I think there's still work to be done, but this was a big confidence-boosting win uh, against a side that is, I think, uh, ageing and, and needs a bit of a renewal in Peru. Does, any, does anybody know why Peru and Colombia didn't just simply agree a draw this time, uh, as per tradition? Uh, 
Aha. Well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be needed. It's still bitter. Still bitter. The the agreement last time. It was. It was a beautiful thing. Friends. Friends. Uh, friends creating the results required. It's a lovely thing to see. Isn't that what football's all about? Opposition coming together and and creating the result that we all want to see. Like, and by all of us, I mean <laughs> Colombians and Peruvians. <laughs> there we go. All right, cool. Well, let's move on to another another couple of friendly nations who always seem to be getting on uh, well. Uh, Argentina, Chile, one all draw. Adam, what are your thoughts? Are you happy? How do you feel about this one? Yeah, I'm I'm relatively happy. Um, you know, first of all, I expected a defeat. I think most Chileans would have expected a defeat. Historically, this game has been a defeat in, in World Cup qualifying. Um, you know, it's, it's very rare that Chile get anything in Argentina, especially in, in a competitive match. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly one point gained. Um, how the game panned out, I was, I was impressed with Chile, um, in, in the opening stages of this match. Um, I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised that they weren't just, sitting deep, which I feared they would under Lesati in this sort of game. Um, I feel that the, the, the biggest problem probably in the first 30 minutes was the lack of pace of, of Maripan at the back. Um, but Medel got him out of trouble a couple of times, but um, Medel couldn't get him out of trouble for the penalty that Maribank gave away after a VAR review. I agree with the with the decision. I think it was a penalty. It's a bit of a debate here in Chile whether it was or not. Um, you know, Messi, Messi put the penalty away, sent Brava the wrong way. Um, and yeah, at that point, I'm kind of fearing probably a sort of a one or two nil defeat, to be honest. But you know, Chile managed to respond quite well. Menenes, who worked extremely hard in the in the first half, especially, he seemed to be everywhere. He he actually won a free kick about forty yards out. Um, Arangis, who doesn't have the engine he he once did, but is such an intelligent footballer that he can sort of make up for it as he as he gets into sort of his his thirties. And um, yeah, he he delivered a lovely in swinging free kick. Uh, Medel managed to keep it in and cut it back to Sanchez who had an easy finish to 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 tap home for for 1-1 and that was the first time that Alessio Sanchez has scored against Argentina as well yeah not including his famous penalty of course um in the in the shootout in 2015 um so yeah it's uh Chile went in at half time 1-1 Bravo managed to pull off a superb um save from a messy free kick from just outside the box to keep it 1-1 at half time. Um, you know, there's some there's some great photos of that um doing the rounds. Um so yeah, try try and uh, search out that if you haven't seen it either on video or on photo. It was a it was a it was a classic brilliant bravo save for Chile. Um yeah in the second half um I thought that Chile were comfortable for the, sort of the first 15 minutes of, of the second half, relatively so. And at, to be honest, at that point, I did. There was a couple of moves that Chile put together where I thought, "Are oh, they? You know, we're really in a chance of possibly winning this game if 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 we if we can get a bit braver." And I personally felt that Chile needed some fresh legs as well around that point, and they didn't come. 
and Argentina made a few changes. Um, and that's a bit of a risk, really, from Scaloni because by making a few changes, he could have like lost the shape of his side, and they they could have like lost control of the game. But it seemed to have the opposite effect; it gave them the extra energy, and suddenly, sort of, they took over really the last half an hour of the game. And it did feel a bit like Chile were hanging on, and I was I was a bit concerned that it was going in the direction of many other Chile World Cup qualifying games so far, where they've conceded a late goal. Vo- um, a late goal, um, uh, as they did against Uruguay and Colombia, for example, to cost them points. Um, but no, I've, Chile managed to to hang on for the for the one one in the end, um, and I think on balance they just about deserved it. Um, I would say that the subs that Lasarte made. This is his first competitive game in charge. Um, I didn't particularly think much of they didn't really have any kind of impact on the game the I, I really don't understand why Cesar Pinares gets so many chances for Chile um I just I just I just don't see what he offers at, at even Libertadores level let alone sort of World Cup qualifying level so yeah I, I, I find it a bit baffling that he's quite often sort of a, one of the first people that Rueda and then Lasati turned to. Um, so the other thing I would point out is that I was impressed generally with Chile off the ball um, and I really liked the shape that, that Chile had under Lasati in this game. Um, but there is a lot to work on on the ball and yeah, the, the lack of chances created is a, is a bit of a worry for me. Um, but yeah, you're never going to create loads away to Argentina, ultimately. Um, so, yeah, huge game coming up on Tuesday for Chile um, at home to Bolivia. That's a must win. Last time, they drew 0-0. Although, in the record books, it goes down as a 3-0 win for Chile because of, you know, everything that happened thereafter. But it was it was basically a result that cost them. Um, World Cup qualifying in the end because of of what it did to Peru's record against Bolivia. So yeah, uh, this is a huge game. They can't they can't afford to to slip up again. And yeah, they need to carry on the momentum from this decent result against Argentina by by picking up all three points on, on Tuesday. A game which will be played in Catolica Stadium rather than the, um, the Estadio Nacional because um, the Estadio Nacional here in Santiago is currently being used as a vaccination centre. So I had to move it to a private uh, ground and private property. And Catholic is, is so yeah, it's, it's going there for this. Obviously, no fans present. Unlike the Colombia-Argentina game, which I believe is going to be played with 10,000 people, no, son? Uh Maybe <laughs> you've caught me. You've caught me. Uh, caught me on guard. Yeah, maybe interesting. I, I'll have to check that. I hadn't. I hadn't noticed. Javier, you wanted to mention something about this Argentina Chile game, no? Yes, I, I would like to highlight two points. The first one is the one that you mentioned about the shape of the ball for Chile. Honestly, both teams in their own style played a very good defensive game. Um, uh, Chile's narrow defensive setup, right, was delightful to see, right? The way they covered spaces and they covered for other players and they rotated. For example, Arangis' IQ to know where to stand 
most of the time was fantastic. And on Argentina's side, um, the defensive transition covers for them were excellent. Christian Romero was just fantastic, right? And the second one is that there were a few tactical things that were very delightful to see, right? So, for example, in the second half, those uh, short periods of times in which Chile moved to a back three with Pulgar in the middle, like, sorry, Pulgar in the back, is great. I'm a big fan of Eric Pulgar, right? Or how uh, Argentina had shifted the players that were wide. So, for example, on the left side, when o Ocampo shifted with Tagliafico, right? So Tagliafico were wide and Ocampo played in the, in the half space between the left and the middle, right? Or on the right side when Di Maria and Messi just switched, right? All that so tactical flexibility, it will eventually uh, uh, be a positive thing for Argentina. Like he, they will eventually use those shifts to create what they're looking for, right? Like at this point, we are not seeing it yet, but I think that with this new generation of players coming and this tactical flexibility that they're showing, Argentina will eventually have something to show for, right? And honestly, the one thing that I want uh, at the end that I want I want to mention is that as part of the South American qualifiers, I'm a little worried that Argentina found Christian Romero and Amy Martinez because they are the kind of cornerstone foundations that strong national teams use to create positive and impactful uh, groups and that have uh, great performances in short tournaments and in for long periods of times like qualifiers and World Cups. So um, good for them, I guess. Yeah, I just uh, just um, a little bit more on 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 Chile, but I wanted to point out, you know, it is worth mentioning that this was a pretty experienced Chile side, and also for those who don't know, Arturo Vidal was missing for Chile due to uh, COVID case. He also had tonsillitis, and he was also pictured with um, with a lady friend um, in a hotel um, <laughs> a couple of days after he'd come back from from Italy to, to Chile. So that was that was quite a big storyline leading up to this game. So to get a result without him, who has been sort of a linchpin of this Chile side so far in in World Cup qualifying, was was impressive. And and his replacement. Um, Gaudamas, um, he um, he got booked after just two minutes in this game. So he was he was playing sort of conditioned basically um, until he was taken off around the hour mark. So yeah, yeah, I think that affected things slightly for Chile, knowing that one of their centre midfielders couldn't make a tactical foul, for for example. So, um, but yeah, I wanted to just point out the performances of Gary Medel. Who was who was excellent throughout this match? Um, I had major doubts about him when when uh, when the starting eleven was named, mainly because he's barely played football in, in the last year. So I was worried about his sharpness, but he looked the sharpest player on the pitch, which is credit to him and his and his conditioning. Um, I thought Chile's fullbacks had very good games as well, Isla and especially Mena, who. Um, who was many people's man of the match here in Chile. I know that he's had a good season for Racing, and it looks like they missed him in the final of uh, Copa de la Liga in Argentina yesterday as, as Racing lost 3-0 to Colón, the Santa Fe. You know and, uh, and yeah, I thought um, I thought it was nice to sort of see Sanchez and Vargas together again as well um, up top because that is something that 
Rueda didn't really fancy that much apart from the Copa America a couple of years ago, but uh, you know, they haven't played m- much together um, in, in, the, in the last couple of years. And you, and you could instantly see there's a bit of a connection there still. So, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of positives to Chile, although, you know, all their key players are sort of past 30 now. And, uh, and that remains a worry in terms of transitioning this side and, um, and transforming this side for one that can be competitive in, in years to come. It will be interesting to see. Uh, I, I like the way Chile pressed as well, uh, Argentina, particularly early in the game. I think that was interesting. And yeah, obviously Romero is going to be an interesting addition because... I've still been unconvinced by Argentina defensively, but it looks as though they're with the protection in front, but the ball is, is, a, is a very good player and it looks like they're resolving that issue. So it will be interesting to see how they can bring everything together. And Di Maria is still playing for Argentina. Uh, I, <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think a lot of people thought that he was one of the weaker players on the pitch, although, um, I think Javier didn't agree with that assessment, if I remember rightly. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I, d- I didn't think that anybody had a terrible game on either side, really. Like Maripan was weak for Chile in the opening half an hour, but when that's because Chile's line was a little bit high and he was getting exposed sort of for his lack of pace in behind, but he recovered well and, and had a good last out of the match, I thought. Um, yeah, there was no, there's no weak performances and yeah, thing I said on Twitter and, I, and Javier mentioned it um, a few minutes ago as well you know this was a pretty t- interesting game tactically um, as well probably the most sort of high class game in, in that respect that we saw in the, in this in these sets of World Cup qualifiers mind you I wouldn't say that's saying a great deal now um, Adam I, I indeed said, said that about Di Maria and he, I find it interesting how um, people just try to follow stereotypes or sometimes repeat what most people say without actually looking the game into detail, right? Di Maria, for his time on the field, he had two poor executions and one bad decision. He actually lost less balls than uh, Ocampos, than Depot, than Messi, right? And again, no player has to have a perfect performance. And honestly, none of the offensive players from Argentina were fantastic or excellent. Right, but they started starting blaming Di Maria for the lack of Argentina, Argentinian offensive success. It's just not watching the game in detail, right? It's just repeating stereotypes. Okay, well, let's move on. I, def- I definitely think the Chile Argentina game was a was a good level. Um, let's move on to the earlier game that day, uh, Uruguay against Paraguay. For me, this was an interesting one. Uh, I, I like the fact um, Paraguay have ditched their, you know, they, they, they've traditionally played one striker who doesn't quite fit, <laughs> whether it's Cardoso, they've, they've played like a six foot five big target man and they never really play towards them uh, aside from set pieces. You know, they've been often a counter-attacking side or a side that's beginning to transition to try and play more pressing football. Uh, and they've they've ditched the, the big penalty box striker and they had Almiron, Romero and Romero, which I think was, was interesting, was dynamic and I think is better suited to the high energy pressing and the high energy transitions they're looking to play. But for me, this was an interesting one. I was... I was pr- probably more impressed by Paraguay than, than Uruguay in this game, despite the, 
the quality. I mean, Uruguay have Betancourt and Valverde in midfield. That, for me, should be as good as it gets in South American football. You know, there's a lot of quality there. But they didn't really move the ball and they didn't really create the openings. You know, we for me, it's interesting to see how Uruguay have transitioned from being a team with a couple of world-class defenders and a couple of world-class strikers and a lot of guys in the middle supplementing that to being a team that has so much midfield quality that they're trying to kind of build around that. And it's not quite clicking yet for me. Uh, I think they've they've lost something and not really added something in particular. Uh, Javi, what do, what do you make of this Uruguay side and, and uh, what are your thoughts on Paraguay's transition and uh, efforts to be a bit more assertive in games? Obviously, they've still got that that toughness and that organisation, but they're, they're trying to do something else. And, it, and for me, it's starting to begin to make some some progress. What did you think? Paraguay, el rey del empate. Um, it's very interesting to see how Paraguay is still undefeated. Um, honestly, I agree with you that Paraguay keeps impressing, right? Like I, I was expecting a superior Uruguay in several, several ways. However, we did not see that, right? Like we, we saw Paraguay that had two opportunities were not that clear or that dangerous, right? They were, but they were the two open play opportunities. Like Berizzo keeps surprising me, right? I try to keep finding flaws or negative things to say, but I'll, honestly, I see them play. They're very organized. They follow a, a very defensive structure and clear plan, honestly. And it also makes me think that it's so much important than, than creating just a system that optimizes everyone on the field. Sometimes that cannot happen right that's not everything will be always perfect like fit coach and players right an identity of the country like that will not always happen however with Verizo, right he has a plan and players are following correctly so uh, uh, that is still impresses me now as much as i'm impressed with paraguay i'm kind of disappointed with uruguay as well right like just to begin with right like and let's be honest right like no non-uruguayan can admire uh, El Maestro Tavares more than I can. And you mentioned that already. I, I'm fi- uh, I have publicly said that I enjoy defensive football at low block, right? I do like that. However, the teams need to be more tactical, flexible, right? They have to modernize because honestly, now within modern football, we have seen that games are not a permanent flow of consequences between one team playing one system and the other, right? Because they change, right? They're becoming more and more of a chess match because as the difference between the the countries get narrower, right, you have to find advantages somewhere else, right? So tactical uh, nuances become more and more important, right? So now, Uruguay was very hard to break down, right? Paraguay had two open play chances, right? In the whole game, other than the few set pieces, right? Now, Uruguay tried unsuccessfully to play through the middle, especially through Betancourt, right? That has had a very tough year at Juventus, right? And has shown his unwillingness to pass the ball forward into dangerous spaces, which is the one thing that makes his presses at Juventus more and more difficult. Now, usually this ends up in the ball, in the ball progression happening on the wings, right? Which at the end would also mean that the last attempt for the goal would come after a cross. Ergo, we see that Uruguay crossed the ball 20 times that game, right? Now, I always like to talk about this quote of Jurgen Klopp, 
that says if you win the ball back high up the pitch and you're close to the goal, it is only one pass away of a really good opportunity most of the time. No playmaker in the world can be as good as a good pressing situation, right? Now, if Uruguay moves the pressure line forward, what do you get? You get a very efficient use of your defensive-oriented, talented midfield, right? You don't have to change. You don't have to add all these uh, new generation attacking midfielders and attacking wingers that honestly could be great as a plan B. But by doing this, you can keep your Betancourt, your Vecinos, your Torreiras, right? Your Valverdes, who, who is great at pressuring, right? Now, you also have an experimented uh, list of players in a high line, just like Jose Jimenez and Ronald Araujo. And now, this might be the most important point. By doing this, you will get the best out of Luisito Suarez. It's just like Atletico Madrid did this season, right? They stopped playing a lower block and started pressuring higher with a back with a back three. Well, that turned into a back five, but that's just nuances, right? And by getting the most out of Luisito, you might get more offensive power, which is what you need, right? Obviously, there is a little downside to doing that, right? Because A you might need to find a player that can fit into Godin's role in regards of leadership, because what he offers on the field, I think Araujo, with ex his experience playing in the high line, could contribute that, right? And they also need an active forward to play next to Suarez. Cavani can easily play this role or one of these new generation of attacking wingers that Uruguay has, right? Because what's the first rule of a high pressure? You have to pressure the ball. No exceptions, right? Now, having such a widely talented roster should motivate Suarez to be more flex. Sorry, Suarez Tavares to be more flexible to reduce the weaknesses such as the ball progression and chance creation through the middle that Uruguay clearly has. Right? How many how many podcasts have we actually discussed about how disappointing Uruguay's midfield has been? Right? Has been several times already. There, there comes a time in which we should expect something new, right? We have to try new things to see what is going to work, right? And football and modern football is showing you what options do you have. Try them. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, you know, you compare the the, <clears throat> the quality on paper, uh, Paraguay with two players at Cerro and a guy playing in MLS in midfield. And then you look at Uruguay and they've got 80, 70, 80, 50 million rated midfielders. Um, but I think Paraguay, as you say, were, were very efficient. And for me, Romero, 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 and Almiron up front, five foot nine. I think that for me is is what Paraguay have been missing. That dynamism, have that three midfielders who can sit and play and and do the job and, and progress the ball quickly, but then use that pace and that invention on on the counter. You know, I think they were basically playing with ten men uh, in the last Copa America when they when they had a big target man up front because they just weren't using him. So I think Almiron with a bit more creativity and dynamism around him, I think that's kind of a nice setup. Adam, what do you think of Paraguay's progression? And, and do you agree that perhaps we're still a bit disappointed with, with Uruguay? Yeah, like I, I kind of expected Paraguay to go in the direction they have. You know, I saw plenty of Eduardo Barriso here in Chile when he was manager of O'Higgins. He, he actually brought them their, their one and only ever title here in Chile so he's a manager I, I, I rate um, and yeah I, I think he's I think he's getting um, you know some decent results with that with that Paraguay squad although 
I would say that they've had the kindest start so far in, you know, this was, I think, their hardest game so far. And they also got a bit fortunate with a dreadful VAR decision, which went against, um, which went, which went against Uruguay, you know, uh, a goal, which was clearly onside was given offside and, and those referees have been suspended. Um, I was reading today, which is interesting to see the VAR officials that is, I, I, I believe. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a Paraguay side that, um, I think will be there or thereabouts for that sort of fifth, fourth, fifth spot, maybe, um, just because they seem to be, uh, just picking up the right results, um, as, as they go along. But I, I do think that if you look at their, their fixtures, they've got a tough run coming up. Um, so it'd be interesting where they are after that. Also, on, on just a quick one on, on Uruguay and, and the debate about their midfielders. I, I just think this is a case of Valverde and, and Betancourt for their club sides. They play in a very different style and system to what they then go and play for, for Uruguay. And I, and, I, and I just think they struggle. With uh, with with the change in 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 having to play sort of a different system and a and a different style and and they seem a little bit lost to me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's look at our final game. Um, last but not yeah, no, it was it was the least. <laughs> it was least. Um, uh, it was an interesting one as always. Uh, at altitude, it had the most goals in it. It had the most goals. To be fair, there we go. It had incident. Um, plenty of uh, <laughs> tough tough football as well it's just amazing to see how confident Bolivia are at altitude and how terrified they're like so meek and polite and insecure when they go away but at home they will get in your face and uh, and games often sink to their level which which isn't great but they were effective against Venezuela um, I think disappointing from Venezuela um, I was a bit surprised that they went with Ariste Guieta up front um, you know, what you need in Bolivia is uh, athletes and you need guys who can run and, and press and work. And Aristagueta looks, you know, he's a big six foot two penalty box striker. And, you know, he just, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't really the man for the job for me. And, and I was also disappointed to see um, Savarino on the bench. He's been so good for Minero. Uh, it, I think he was a miss as well for Venezuela. But the game, three uh, one win for Bolivia. Um, they they scored very early. Uh, I mean, we you know I can mention some of the limitations in this game, but but someone who never disappoints is uh, Marcelo Martins Moreno, the big number nine. The number of headers he scores uh, for Bolivia, particularly in La Paz, is is incredible. Uh, he opened the scoring with a nice volley. Uh, our our favourite goalkeeper, Wilka Farinas, has, has lost his spot. Uh, Gratarol, who's been good for America de Cali, the occasional mistake, um, perhaps could have done slightly better on the goal. It was a really nice volley, to be honest, um, but perhaps could have done slightly better. And he almost got caught out as well. Um, perhaps some of the altitude of La Paz, a long clearance from the right back, and it bounced over his head. Um, and he just recovered to cook it off the line. He's done that two or three times, actually. Um, he, he's, he's very agile and very quick, uh, somewhat in the in the mold of Farinas, uh, Graterol, um, but not the tallest, again, um, but he, he was able to hook that one away. Uh, so it was an interesting game. Um, 
lots of lots of Bolivian chances. To be honest, uh, they were they were on top for most of this game. Um, Venezuela uh, pulled one back. Uh, An Otero free kick from from range bounced just in front of the goalkeeper, um, and then John Chancellor kind of volleyed volleyed it in uh, quite athletically, but but you know a fairly simple finish. Um, but then, yeah, uh, Venezuela, uh, Bolivia took the lead again. Diego Bejarano with a header from a corner. And then finally, uh, another typical Marcelo Martín Moreno header uh, from a deep cross. Really nice header. But it was a game that, you know, if games at La Paz, particularly involving perhaps not some of the stronger teams, can, can become so Sunday league. And this really was quite a Sunday league kind of game. Everyone was exhausted. Um, struggling for breath, uh, the lots of turnovers of possession, uh, lots of <clears throat> niggly fouls, and lots of yeah. I mean, Bolivia are really <laughs> quite aggressive at home, um, and and uh, you know they're confident in their play. But uh, yeah, it was it was an ugly one, which I think suited Bolivia in particular. But disappointing from Venezuela. We we would have hoped, yeah. and there's been hopes that Venezuela will, will do something and get to the World Cup. But they, they seem quite far off. Yeah, well, well, Venezuela made. I've, I've, they basically played a second string here, didn't they? Looking at the when I looked at the team sheet um, during the game, because I was thinking that there's a lot of players that I'd expected to play that that weren't. Um, so I don't know if they're saving them for for Tuesday's match. Um, yeah, any insight? Yeah, there? I mean, no, 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 Rondon, no Soteldo, but but guys like Savarino on the bench, and, and even Jose Martinez, you know, um, was was missing in attack for me. I would have rather seen him than Estagueta. Um, but yeah, there, there were definitely important players missing. But they, that's been the kind of the story of Venezuela so far. Uh, they've they haven't had their strongest eleven out in any of the games, um, largely for. Uh, COVID reasons or injury reasons or availability reasons. But also I think some of the, the selections um, aren't in line with what I would have done as the Venezuela boss. But uh, yeah, you know, it's been a bit of a disappointing start from Venezuela um, so far. Uh, and they've got Uruguay at home next, which is going to be in theory a tough one. I'll go over the games we've got coming up. which We've got Ecuador against Peru. This is all on Tuesday. So Ecuador at home against Peru. Venezuela at home against Uruguay, Colombia against Argentina, and Adams, correct, 10,000 fans in Metropolitano, if they can get past the protests, because that's going to be an interesting one. Um, we shall see. Uh, a lot of uh, Colombian fans have decided they don't want games being held, let alone fans in the stadium, um, while there's such a, a, a sensitive situation in the country. Lots of protests against government policy, against government violence, and it will be interesting. I will be shocked if that went anywhere kind of smoothly at all on Tuesday. So one to watch, and hopefully, hopefully there's no violence uh, around that game because it's going to be a, a tense situation. Uh, Paraguay at home against Brazil, which should be an interesting one. We'll see what happens there, and then Chile at home against Bolivia. So, any any thoughts on those on those games before we finish, guys? What what are you looking forward to? Just want to jump in on uh, Venezuela because I, I I just I've just been reading that Herrera and Rondon are both injured at the moment. Yangel Herrera has probably been sort of a well, he was certainly their key man against Chile in their in their only win so far in in World Cup qualifying, and yeah, he's uh, he's injured at the moment, and neither will play against Uruguay either on Tuesday so that's quite a big chance for Uruguay really 
they're playing a pretty weak Venezuela side on, on Tuesday. So it'd be interesting. How yeah, and mm, and Soteldo's out for for four or five weeks as well. So that's obviously a, a big a big knock. Uh, Javi, what do you think? Uh, confident against Peru? I think it's vital that Ecuador win this one. Peru uh, at the bottom of the table, just one point at the moment. Yeah, um, I have two games that I really want to focus on. One is obviously the Ecuador game. Yeah, that, those three points are a must, especially of after what we know about Peru and their performance against Colombia recently, right? So, uh, like I said at, at the end of the Ecuador analysis, I have faith. I believe in Alfaro. I believe in the group. I believe in the team. So... I don't know if confident is a word, but I'm optimistic for sure. Um, and the other game that I want to see and I want to watch and analyze is the Paraguay-Brazil game, right? Like we might see the first defeat for the Paraguay side, these qualifiers. So let's see what happens. Absolutely. I think with Colombia, I think getting that confidence-boosting win against Peru is going to be massive. But I think we shouldn't take shouldn't read too much into that. Um, I think this is going to be a, a step up in quality against Argentina for all of the limitations we've seen over the years. I think they're beginning to address those, but I think there's still vulnerabilities. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a tough game. And, and as Adam mentioned, Colombia's mental strength and ability to deal with the, uh, the big occasions has been the issue for them. So we shall see. Adam, you're going to win against Bolivia at home, right? Um yeah, uh, I, th- I think I think Chile have hopefully sort of learned their lesson not to not to take this game too lightly from 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 when they played Bolivia a few years ago in World Cup qualifying and then drew nil nil. So yeah, I'm pretty hopeful that they get the job done even without the Dal again. Um, but they've certainly got the players to to beat Bolivia. I'd say. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, busy another busy day. 4 p.m. Colombian time, all the way up until late night. So uh, it will be throughout the day, there'll be games. So check all those out. It should be interesting. I, I reckon Paraguay, oh, I don't know. I reckon they could do it. I can, I've got faith in this Paraguay team. Maybe they can pull something off against Brazil, but it's going to be interesting uh, to see. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, Javi, where can people follow you on Twitter? Anything you'd like to say before we finish up today? Well, they can find me under my correctly pronounced name, Javier Zavala or my username at ZAVXAV at Twitter. Oh, I, I, look, I, just, I saw the Z and I guessed. And then I was like, wait, because I, I thought I knew his... Obviously, I know your name. I've, I've seen your name for... Oh, anyway, there we go. There we go. Adam, where can people follow you on Twitter? Where can people keep up to date with Chilean football? Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I've forgotten what it is. Uh, at brandon 84 I also have a newsletter on Chilean football called Pachanga um, on Substack that you can sign up for. Although um, I'm not sure when the next update is going to be on that. Probably after Chile's uh, match with Bolivia, <laughs> hopefully. So yeah. Okay. And if I if I was sounding a little distracted in the in the last five minutes, it was because I was watching the end of. Um, um, a game here in Chile between Cobra Sal and Unión La Calera. I'm sure all our listeners would be fascinated to know what happened in that and uh, can tell them that Unión La Calera have won one nil away to Cobra Sal. Oh, you should have. You That's should, what they were. Yeah, you should have said you have to check out the newsletter to find out who won. 
so you could have hooked them. Uh, well, for all the details of the game will be included uh, in that. Perfect. If you want more information. Okay, great. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. We will be back soon very soon um so this should drop very quickly <laughs> hopefully over by the end of the weekend and then straight in for tuesday we'll have a full uh list of games to check out i think austin and tom are keen to come back and give us their views on things as well so looking forward to that middle of next week uh check out the games thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon <laughs> <laughs>